welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, all alone again today. Our guest this week is Douglas Vermeeren. He is the, well, he calls himself a modern-day Napoleon Hill. He is the filmmaker behind How Thoughts Become Things, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal film about how your thoughts uh, and emotions become your behaviors, actions, and outcomes. Uh, it, it, if you feel stuck in your life, if you feel like uh, like you just you keep hitting up against barriers that you can't get through, this uh, is an interview that you have to hear. You absolutely have to listen. I'm very excited to bring this to you. There's very few interviews that I listen to over and over and over again, and since I've done this, I've listened to it about three or four times. So I'm very excited to bring this to you. Before I do, uh, I want to say a couple of things. One, thank you guys so much for staying with us this week uh, and for uh, being a part of, uh, of this show with us. Uh, we also have John's store, John's new book, John's newest public television special are available in the store. There is a link in the show notes for where you can get that. Please check that out. Uh, we are really proud of that stuff. Uh, we are really excited to share it with you. You can get a signed copy of John's book from there. So go ahead and check that out as soon as you can in the in the show notes. Also, I want to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Uh, they help make today possible. So here, without further ado, is John with a message from our sponsor, Rocket Mortgage and Quicken, from Quicken Loans. Home today is so much more than it was yesterday. But at Rocket Mortgage, home is still all about you. During these challenging times, the top priority at Rocket Mortgage is the health and safety of the communities they serve. And one thing that will never change is their team's commitment to giving you the best mortgage experience possible. That's why if you need mortgage support, their team of experts is there to answer questions and offer solutions. They understand that hardships happen and they are here to help. Whether that means working with you to save money on your mortgage or finding a new way to navigate payments. If you have questions, the team at Rocket Mortgage has answers. They know how important your home is to you because you're important to them. If you need mortgage assistance, the home loan experts at Rocket Mortgage are available to help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. From their home to yours, the team at Rocket Mortgage is with you. Visit rocketmortgage.com slash Tesh to learn more. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Thank you so much again, Rocket Mortgage Quicken Loans. Real fast, I just want to give you guys a couple of, uh, of things, uh, bits of intelligence that I'm excited to bring to you before we get to the interview. Uh, if you're like me, you're a big baseball fan. Spring is just has not been the same without baseball, but you can actually get the taste of the ballpark now because a growing number of minor league baseball organizations from coast to coast are making their signature concessions available for curbside pickup. They're offering everything from hot dogs and wings to regional favorites like loose meat sandwiches, like brisket and stuff. It's a way for minor league teams to get some money coming in and to unload their perishable food. So if you can't watch baseball games in person, and we can't, at least you can still get your favorite hometown meals. You can get a list of the minor league organizations offering curbside concession carryout at MILB.com. If you've never been to a minor league baseball game, in order to make the whole experience that much better because obviously they're not the same as the major league players. They have so many fun things. I, it is, if you've never gone make it and you like sporting events at all, even if you don't like sport, if you just like County fairs, boy, are minor league baseball games fun. And this is an exciting way to get to continue. Uh, my personal favorite obviously are, are the Dodgers and they have some great food that I'm missing. Like they have these carne asada fries, which are not healthy for you, but they are delicious. And obviously they have something called the victory knot, which is a giant soft pretzel with three different dipping sauces the size of your head. And that is the kind of stuff that I am missing. On the flip side of things, here's another throwback activity that's seeing a pandemic resurgence, jumping rope. 
According to Google Trends, searches for skipping rope workout have been steadily on the rise worldwide since April. And one reason for that is jump ropes are cheap. They are very cheap. And it's a form of exercise you can do pretty much anywhere. It's also a great cardio workout. It works your shoulders, your biceps, your abs, your glutes, and your calves all at the same time. It's also inspiring the trend are celebrities. Stars like, obviously, stars like Eva Longoria, Jennifer Garner, and Halle Berry have been sharing their jump rope workouts on social media and inspiring their fans to jump on board. Big fan of jumping rope. Obviously, there's a reason why boxers do it, and boxers are all in incredible shape. It is a great workout. I do it. Uh, highly recommend you guys check that out. Here, that's it. That's a bit of intelligence. Here is this interview that I'm so excited to bring you. Douglas Vermeeren, uh, here you go. Douglas Vermeeren, uh, modern-day Napoleon Hill filmmaker, behind uh, How Thoughts Become Things. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. We really appreciate it. Oh, I'm excited to be with you. We're going to have a good time. I, I think so. I'm looking forward to this because I watched the movie How Thoughts Become Things, and um, and I absolutely ate it up. I loved it from frame one. Um, I, I feel like, uh, well, I, I think we need kind of need to take a step back for some people, right? And I feel like this idea of of controlling your thoughts and your subconscious mind being this thing that manifests your reality, um, it, it's, I feel like it's taken hold in a way now that it hasn't in a very long time. Or maybe I'm just becoming more aware of it, and it has always been this popular. But for me, it feels really new and exciting. Um, so I guess first and foremost, how did you come across the teachings in the movie? And, uh, and what are the, what is sort of the, the, let's give us the, the overall arching concept of how thoughts. Become. Sure. Well, you know what, I guess, uh, one of the temptations I have right away, since you said that everyone's talking about, it's kind of a new thing. This actually suggests that one of the first places that I kind of ran into this, there's a book that was published in 1882 <laughs> called thoughts are things by Prentice Mulford. That was wow. the, 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 one of the books that I studied, but I'd be, I'd be lying if I said that's kind of what tapped me into this. Certainly I wasn't in a library with old books like that. But that's kind of the beginning that I can tell of published conversation around this idea. For me, like quite frankly, it began when I was about 19. When I was 19, I didn't know anything about personal development. My family was broke. My father worked in construction. My mom babysat kids in the home. We had like zero money. And um, somebody gave me the book, Think and Grow Rich, and said, listen, if you don't want to repeat sort of the, I guess, pattern that your parents are in, check this book out. So I started reading about, you know, think, thoughts, right? Think and grow rich. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was very kind of cool about that is I decided to go out and do what Napoleon Hill had done. So I started to interview some of the world's top achievers, mm -hmm. business leaders, entrepreneurs, etc. And I noticed that my Let's thoughts Let's just make that connection changed. for people real fast because I, I yeah. want to make sure everybody knows. Napoleon Hill, who, and I called you the modern Napoleon Hill, uh, yeah. is the author of Think and Grow Rich. That's right. And the way that he wrote that book, just so everybody's got it, is in his day, this is the 1930s, he went out and he interviewed 400 of the world's top achievers, people like Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, the Rockefellers, the Wrigleys, and that gang, right? So when I read this book, um, I honestly, my, my thoughts just expanded. I was just like, wow, I never saw this side of me before. So it was a really big kind of self-discovery. But I decided to kind of go out and start like learning from world's top achievers. You know how they say you become like the five people you spend the most time with? Right. Well, I was just hanging out with my high school chums. And so I decided it was time to kind of level up. So I started really seeking out very intentionally people who had created at least a million dollars in business, people who had won an Academy Award, people who would won uh, a medal in the Olympics or played on a professional sports team. And I just started trying to learn from those kinds of people. And soon I got – to bigger and bigger and bigger individuals, people who now created brands like FedEx or Ted Baker or Nike, Reebok, UGG, all these kind of big, big brands. 
And the cool thing is, is for me, I experienced a massive shift. Obviously, it starts inside. We have to expand who we are before we can expand what we have. And so I just changed like crazy in the way that I thought about things. And as a 19-year-old, I was very fortunate that many of them took me under the wing and started to mentor me. And so I became financially successful right away. So right away, that was kind of the, the foundation of this movie is I recognized that where I'd come from wasn't where I was. And it all really was connected to how I started thinking about things. And so that's kind of what the whole, I guess, catalyst for the film was. Now, you know, I mean, that was when I was 19. So I've been trying to sort out these ideas and the systems behind what really happened. I've been trying to figure that out for a long time, and I right. think we've now got the answers. Yeah. Well, so, so one of the things that you guys talk about in the film, right, is this idea, um, and you've interviewed a lot of great thinkers for the movie, and, and um, it is, it's, it's an easy watch, um, but the, one of the, the ideas is that, that it's not just the thoughts that we have in our head, um, it's the thoughts that we attach emotion to and dwell on, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, what's interesting is there's always thoughts that are going on in our head. And quite frankly, we even have things that we're thinking while we're sitting there watching TV or whatever. Right. But it doesn't mean we're going to get up and do anything about it. Right. You know, I mean, I we've all watched uh, an exciting movie and said, wow, that's a neat idea. And that's the end of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So anytime we have an idea that really will turn into action, it must be activated by emotion. And as we know, that emotion is actually from the same word as motion, meaning to move. And so you can't really have movement without emotion. The two go hand in hand, really. And I think it's also important to point out that, thank goodness that's the case, because some of the thoughts that we often have, we do get emotional about, but sometimes it's better to not take action. Like, just think of the last time in traffic when somebody cut you off. Right, right, <laughs> right? right, right, right. So, so it really is a, a decision and also that emotion together really forming, let's call it momentum is maybe even a better word because I think even then I see people who take action with a quick thought that gets them excited, but two days later they're onto something new. So we don't just want to create action. I think that's great, but it's not enough. We need to really create momentum and that means getting really charged about an idea emotionally really so that you know, actually, maybe a good way to share is this. Um, w one of the success interviews I had, really fun, really good, was Edward James Olmos. And yeah, some of you may know him. Yeah, sure. Battlestar Galactica's Commander Adama. Oh, um, yeah, of course you can go there. Blade Stand Runner, right? Like, yeah, I mean, there's so many films that dude was in. So anyways, I was sitting with him for lunch one time, and I said to him, what's your definition of success? And he thought about it for a minute, and then he said, um, you know, some people think success is doing what's hard. And then he said, no, success is finding something you love and then doing that even when it's hard. Mm. And I thought, what a profound thing, right? Because many of us kind of have ideas of, you know, things that we'd like to do or whatever, and it gets tough, whatever. But we don't really love it enough to actually stick with it when it gets really tough. And I think that that's the test, right? That's where the momentum comes in. And that's when our thoughts truly do become things. Because, you know, if, if everything, what is it? One of my friends said, he says, if it was just hard work that made people rich, he says, Every one of these ladies in Africa that carries baskets right. along on top of their head, they'd all be millionaires. Mm -hmm. But that's that's not really what it is. It's not hard work. It's having a system, and then it's being on top of that system and following that path even when it's hard. So I don't know. That was just kind of a cool way to look at it, I guess. Let me – I mean, so there's, a, there's an interesting corollary to this, right? Like, So if we – I do like the idea, and I absolutely know this thing where what we dwell on – and I believe you break it down into sort of three sections in the movie where it's um, – where there's uh, there's fear, there's hatred, and there's love, like love and passion, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And we have a tendency as individuals to focus on the negative and allow that to manifest in our lives because 
we, um, uh, in the movie you talk about, there's this programming that we have as, as a species where we need to find the negative because that's what keeps us alive. The positive doesn't yeah. really keep us alive. Um, but we live in an era where, where we, we aren't necessarily being hunted by saber-toothed tigers, so we don't need to dwell on the negative, on the stress, as much as, uh, as, our, as our biological programming would, would ask us to. So breaking that pattern of focusing on the negative and diving into that find what you love element is kind of something unique to the last 200 years of human history. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, for, for the last 200 years of human history for so many people, I mean, for you know, a couple well, of well, millennia. You, you know, the, the, the cool thing that you're pointing out that's kind of interesting, two things that I think are really worth noticing. One, this idea of programming from way back. Okay, that's true. But most people forget we're actually even be programmed. We're being programmed right now. In fact, even those listening to this podcast, they're being programmed as they listen to it, right? So you're being programmed. I'm programming you, right? So that's important to recognize is that the things that we allow to influence us still, in fact, um, how should we say they they impact and they solidify those negative mm-hmm. beliefs that we have. We'll talk maybe more about negative beliefs in a second. But the other thing that I think is interesting just about this idea around. Um, negative beliefs is the truth is, is most people actually try to flee from that. They run away from the idea of negative and they think that to really manifest their thoughts, they need to only think positive and need, need to find a way to get over the fear and they need to get over the doubt and so forth. But the thing that they don't realize is that inspiration and this fear actually arrive together. They always do. Yeah. So if you've got something really powerful and big that you want to do, um, just expect there's going to be a moment of fear that comes right after it. And yeah. you'll, you'll have to decide which is the one that's going to be most powerful, which is the one that's more emotionally charged back to this idea of emotion, right? It's like that, uh, that Native American uh, parable. Yeah, the two wolves inside yeah. you. Yes, there's two wolves inside in, you. In fact, I, I used to live in China. They tell the same thing but with two dragons, right? So right, you, right. you pick your flavor, whatever you got inside you. But you know what? It's interesting. Most times people equate that only to fear, and they think that it's fear is the only thing that stops us. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is fear is only one of the things. I mean, there's everything from feelings of self-worthiness. I lack that maybe you feel, or you don't feel like you know enough or have enough resources or support or whatever it is. So it's not just fear. Fear is, again, I guess, just kind of a blanket uh, word for approaching the unknown or not having enough. And I think it's important for the listeners to understand that you can never attract abundance with one foot in scarcity and one foot in abundance. You must be all in abundance or you can't have it. And fear is a manifestation of scarcity, but it's not the only one. So anytime there's jealousy, comparison, criticism, uh, again, fear, feelings of doubt, self-worth, uh, dis- despair, any of these things, um, that's, a, that's a manifestation of scarcity. And we, we can't really get into our highest truest self while we're, it's almost like an anchor holding us back, right? Like while you have this anchor on your foot, it's kind of like when the mafia throws that guy into the swimming pool with the cement shoes. Mm-hmm. You can't get to the top if you're going to keep your feet in the cement boots. So you've got to learn how to let yourself go from these things that are holding us back. Um, something that's also interesting too, just about this idea of fear you're right. We've been programmed that we almost like fear is a necessity. So whenever we have something good come along, we almost feel like we can't engage in it yes. until we, we, we have fear, right? So in other words, we're not worthy of it unless the opposite appears. And then we have to feel like we've got to wade through the fear or confront it or, or right. deal with it in some way uh, in order to make ourselves worthy to receive. And, and there's a psychological principle behind that called investment bias. And the truth is, is whether it's wealth or whether it's success or whether it's any of these things, most people feel like they have to earn that. And the truth is, is most of the time it's already there. 
right? <laughs> well, and, and that comes up in the in the movie. I think you guys talk about. I can't remember the the term you used, but it's, it's something along the lines of morality and shame, where mm. where when we behave immorally, we begin to uh, against our own morals, our own inclinations. Uh, we begin to feel like we don't deserve any of the success that comes that may come on the other side of some of that stuff, yeah. and it, it creates exactly. a downward spiral for people where they start to dwell on the negative and their unworthiness. Well, th th this is it too. Is that the, the truth is that one of my really good friends that you saw in the film, John Demartini, he said this to me once. I thought this was interesting. Uh, in our last movie, actually, that talks about money and wealth and all these things, he said that everyone is wealthy. It just appears in the form that they value most. Mm. And so I think it's kind of an interesting thing to observe in our own life that, you know, we really always dedicate our priorities and our attention and our urgency and whatever it is to the things that coincide with our highest values. And so if you're sitting there wondering, well, why haven't I got, you know, a million dollars in the bank account and all this kind of stuff? Well, go take a look at the things that you do have. You know, for some of you, it might be a closet full of shoes and it might be a nice sports car in the garage or whatever it is. But that demonstrates where your value was. And so mm. they have a high value on that. Anyone can be a millionaire if they will have the self-discipline to recognize, you know, the activities that lead to having a million dollars in financial security. Right. So it's not impossible. It's just you've chosen a different set of values along the way. And, and that's where the pitfall is. Right. Uh, I mean, Yes. So uh, I guess the I guess the, one of the the corollaries to this concept, right, is if we all are looking for something we love, if we're all looking to manifest th these certain desires in our life, and, um, and 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 one of the things I do like about your the overall thesis of the film is that there it's all coupled with action. None of it is mm -hmm. none of it is meant to be. You sit in a room and you wait for stuff to come to you. It's all coupled with with daily actions and habits. Stuff that we talk about on the show all the time. Um, yes. I saw I, I, a little bit of a shameless plug here. I saw you guys in one of the B-roll clips that you show. So while these people, oh, cool. while these people are talking, you have these other people are acting out some of sort of visual versions of what the experts are talking about in the movie. Yes. And one of them was about you know doing a daily plan and living your and and and, and adhering to it. And there's a woman sitting on a couch writing in the full focus planner, which is the planner that I use, which is the <laughs> nice. planner designed by Michael Hyatt, who wrote a bunch of books, including Free to Focus. And we've had him on the show. So I was like, oh, that was a that was a fun thing that the, that the we'll have to send came. him the bill. Have to send right, him the right. bill. <laughs> but no, I was just saying, like, you know, the, the, one of the things I really do like about all this is that it's coupled with action. But one of the things that does make me a little bit nervous um, is this idea that if, if manifestation is available to us all and if we are supposed yeah. to be focusing on things that we love and we need to we need to we need to figure out how to get ourselves through that or into that there is a, there are jobs and things that are kind of difficult to do with love i mean would we would the world not have any janitors if everybody was actualized in this way does that make sense but I'm picking janitors, but I it have, could be anything. But, but here's the deal is, are there janitors that actually do love their work? Is it possible to love that work? I think so. I think that there's people who've chosen that as a work. In fact, I can think of, uh, there's a man that I knew, uh, I, I don't know him now, but I knew him growing up, and he actually was a janitor at a junior high, like a middle school. Mm -hmm. And why did he choose to do that? It's because both of his sons went there, right? right. And so he was a janitor at the same time that his sons were there. And naturally, he just grew to love the kids. And so, you know, it wasn't really even about cleaning up anymore. It was because he was a fun part of the whole entire school, right? Like right. everybody liked him. In fact, what's really kind of funny, he had a little mustache and everything, and the kids called him Mario. 
right? So right, right, he right. really felt the sense of this is my team. This is who I belong to. And, you know, his education maybe didn't allow him to come in as a teacher, but he could still be part of their existence in that way. So I think, you know, all of us have kind of a different uh, set of desires. In fact, it's interesting. I often tell my students to look at this. If you want to look at where you're going to find wealth, okay, and I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about something bigger than money, and I'll get into that in a second. But most gurus that are out there right now, they say you need to focus on your passion and your purpose. So just imagine, if you will, like a circle in front of you that's got P and P written in it, passion and purpose. That's the circle. Now, what's interesting is as I went out and I interviewed the world's top achievers, 400 of them, I found that what the gurus are telling you is not correct. The mm. gurus say, focus on your passion and purpose and everything will come. Well, that's kind of not true. And in fact, Warren yeah, my Buffett favorite, said, my favorite, yeah. my favorite aside on that is like, okay, I yeah. just drank a bottle of wine, took selfies with my dog and took a nap. Where's the million dollars? Yeah, fair enough. Hank, <laughs> that's right? what I'm or, my passion is color coordinating my Beanie Baby collection. Where's my money, right? right. Like, come on. Right. So Warren Buffett said something really kind of cool that I think goes well with this. He said, what you love about you is your hobby. What others love about you is your business. And so I want you to imagine this. You've got the one circle with your P&P, your passion and purpose in it. Now imagine that it now needs to intersect with the P&P of someone else. And the more people that it intersects with, in other words, where does your passion and purpose overlap with the passion and purpose of other people? Because then they're willing to pay you for it. But even more importantly, they're going to validate you for it. So you'll always feel that you've got purpose. You see, here's the truth. As money comes and goes, we can get paid for a lot of things that are unfulfilling and don't really give us joy. Mm -hmm. But when we find something that we can get paid for and it also overlaps the passion and purpose of other people, then we've got true significance. Then we've got validation. And even when the money's not there, or even like we said earlier, even when times are tough doing something we love, we've got others around us who can give us that appreciation and that moral support and so we can keep going. So I think the whole exercise that we have in life isn't just to find something we love. That's kind of selfish, right? Mm. It's to find something where we have meaning. And I think that that's bigger, right? And when we have meaning, uh, man, oh man, you can really – Go deep with that. You can stay engaged. You can work hard. You can work long hours. You can travel around right. the world. You can, whatever it takes, you're never going to feel kind of burnt out. Right. I think the problem with many people is, well, two things. One, I think that they've never found meaning in what they're doing, so that's hard. Or at one time, something that was meaningful lost its meaning, and they have never shifted gears. So in other words, it served them in the beginning to do this, but I stick with it because I really don't know anything else. Well, that's right. kind of an, a cop-out and an excuse, right? Right, right. right. I mean, so so I. The other, I so it it does sort of present like another layer, though, right? Of of yeah. of when you you when you bring up losing meaning, okay? So you bring up this idea that what you were doing has started to lose meaning, and so you're less passionate about it, which I can absolutely relate to. But but what what do you do? I mean, we, we are such a um, Western society, in particular, is, is so vocational in this in our drive. So like we. We, you train for a specific career, and you, 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 generally speaking, have to have a certain amount of experience before you're able to sort of make your own yeah. life in that career. You know, I mean, even like even high-profile positions require even more of that. Like, if you're a doctor, you you'll be five, six years out of medical school before you even get to work during the day. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy system that we have set up. So, uh, how realistic is this for? for 90% of the population to be able to have the kind of flexibility where you get to find that passion? Well, I think that there's a couple of things to consider there. One of them is something that Socrates said. Socrates said that we are teleological beings, meaning that we find our sense of value 
in progress. In other words, as we're progressing to an outcome, that's where we feel most fulfilled. So the question that I would have, and I've got lots of friends, again, that are doctors or even like I've got one friend that's a neuroscientist, another that's a heart surgeon. I mean, they put in a lot of time in school, like for a long time. Mm -hmm. So my question is, is have you set goals beyond the training or set goals, you know, long term beyond just the servicing of what it like? We've got to set goals beyond um, anything that we could possibly do. And we've always got to be resetting those goals. So, again, once once you're done school, what's the next step? And if you look, this is the way it's always been. Like even as I interviewed, you know, some of the celebrities and top athletes and people like this. I mean, I've got my my real close best friend actually is an Olympian medalist. He's now the mayor actually of a small town just outside of my uh, area here. But he won a silver medal for speed skating as a team in Torino, Italy, right wow. for our country. And the interesting thing is, is Wait, Apollo Ono. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was, uh, uh, Tofino, I think is what, what the Olympics was there, but I don't know the whole area. There might be other geography under that name, but anyway, so, so he won this silver medal and it's interesting to kind of talk with him because when he, uh, kind of first finished it, obviously he was on cloud nine. It was amazing, et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, you return back to your country a couple months later after you've done all the media and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You're wondering, okay, so what next? Right. And, and, and there's a lot of guys, you know, who, you know, I'm a big fan of the UFC too. You can see sometimes these guys, they win and what next, right? And so I think that's a, a real important time for any of these high achievers that they now need to really take a, a moment and reset and in some capacities even redefine right. who they are to some extent to now find that next challenge. Sure. And I think where they can't find the next challenge is where the real problem is. And we've seen that where you know some of these guys have you know wound up into drugs or mm-hmm. spending all, the, all their money looking for the next thrill or the big high. And it's really very simple. Mm-hmm. If they can find what it is that is going to drive them internally, something that's going to give them this spark and this power, that's where they're really going to shine. And and that's what they need to do. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's easy, and I'm not saying that that comes about for everybody instantly, but it's it's something that we should be constantly on the hunt for. And by the way, you don't have to be like a, a legendary athlete to have right. this happen too. I think, you know, if, if you've – what do they say? There's also a saying that says, what got you the job won't get you the corner office. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to suggest that's not just for corporate. That's for anything in life. Mm-hmm. What got you into a relationship? Like, what do you think? You, you found the girl of your dreams. You get married and you have a couple kids and then all of a sudden you put it on pause until you die. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so I think no matter what you're in, you've got to find a way to look for something new and exciting. And you've always got to be reaching higher. And I, I think that's the journey of life, right? And there's, there's no real answer to what it really means to reinvent yourself, right? right. So we, we, we've got all the time in the world to figure that out, right? You know, it, it, you, you mentioned something, this idea of like once you've figured out one tier, you know, of life, it, it, then, then life sort of presents you with this new tier. I was just listening to an interview with Kevin Hart, and I happen to love him, and I believe wholeheartedly that he aligns with everything you were talking about. He's the kind of ultra-motivated individual that um, – uh, he calls himself an alien, right? Where he and as a metaphor, <laughs> like he just he can just sense when other people are on that same wavelength. And I, I was just listening to an interview with him, and he talks about it like levels. Like once you figure out your level, you have two choices. Like you can either sit at that level, and then you're never going to know what's on the other levels, or you can bust through, beat the boss, and go to the next level like a video game. Um, and well, you, and you he, know it's so cool that you say that too, because a thought that just came to my mind too is a lot of it depends also on who you hang out with. Because I recognize when I was before I met the 400 top achievers that I interviewed, uh, I was very satisfied to be a high school kid. 
I was satisfied to look at things from yeah. a high school perspective. On Saturday night, we'd get together and watch movies yeah. at a friend's place, blah, blah, blah. And we'd do it again, rinse, repeat the next week. But as soon as I started hanging around with higher level people, I found that they pushed me to think higher. Not that they did physically or, or you know, in any kind of – but when you're with them, you can't help but think at a higher level. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is one thing that I guess, you know, maybe when we talk about the film How Thoughts Become Things, one of the things you remember we talked a little bit, Marie Diamond said that what we surround ourselves with is like a 3D vision board around us, right? So that's our environment. That's the posters on your house, the way you set up your furniture, whether you live in chaos or cleanliness, whatever. Mm-hmm. I get that, and I agree with that. But I think that the people that you surround yourself with are even more so you rise to the standards of those you surround yourself with. And so if you really want to rise higher, uh, I love what Dennis Waitley said in the film. He says, if you've just lost your job, this is the worst place you right. could be is to hang out with a bunch of other people that lost their job. Right. 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 You don't want to be that. You want to be with people who are well employed, making money, doing fantastic. In fact, it's funny. Um, I've got a friend that I meet with every single Friday. He's worth about eight hundred million dollars, a big real estate developer guy who's nearby me and I find whenever I'm done talking with him I feel like I want to be better and it's not only does he make me feel like I want to be better but the things we talk about help me to see things I never saw not only about the world but often about myself right like a good mentor helps you see things about yourself that you never thought to think about and so I think you know for your listeners if you're sitting there at a job and you're like well I don't know I'm I'm here I guess I have to be satisfied never be satisfied never be happy with what you have, but never be satisfied. That's, and just start looking to surround yourself with, with people who are you know, in, a, in a position that they can inspire you, people that can help you be better. That's a distinction that you guys make in the film, right? This idea between being satisfied with where you're at and always having something to strive for. Like You should never be satisfied with where you're at. You should always be striving to improve. And it, it, it goes along the lines of if you're not growing, you're dying, right? And that can be, like we've talked about a couple of times, like we've been emphasizing abundance uh, in terms of wealth in a couple of different ways. But really, we're talking about that sort of that abundant life. And that can mean like your janitor friend you were talking about, who's who Mario, who got who, the, all the called Mario, who got to hang out with his sons while they were at, in junior high. And that happened to be his abundance. But when you um, but this idea that when you are when you're when you're going for abundance, uh, you can never actually let yourself be satisfied. You can never have enough of whatever that thing is, but at the same time, allowing yourself to be happy with what you have and grateful yeah. and content. So there's, how do we make that difference distinction? Content in that. I, I think that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. And, and in the film, it was Bob Proctor that talked about that. You know, if you're a singer, you want to be a better singer. If you're mm-hmm. a runner, you want to run faster. And, and I, I think that that's important, right? But this idea of contentment, I think this is kind of a cool one. And maybe I'm going to answer this a little bit different. Maybe I'm hitting what you're wanting. Maybe I'm kind of hijacking the question. I don't know. You shut me down if I do. Whatever. But basically, you hear a lot of people talk about that happiness is a choice, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that's actually kind of not true. In fact, I recently had a chance to go speak at a prison in North Carolina. There were lots of guys in there who made bad choices. Mm-hmm. But if you sat and you talked with them, they felt like they were making good choices while they were doing it, right? Like mm-hmm. they didn't intend that they'd wind up in prison. And so it's not happiness that creates the choice. Happiness is actually choice plus consequence, right? So we make a choice, but we've got to be at peace. We've got to feel good. We've got to be happy about the consequence. Mm. 
So that I think is a big part that's missing. So we're looking at contentment. Contentment is always being pleased with the choices that we make along the way. Satisfied means that we are always looking to expand and create opportunities where we can make more choices or even more powerful choices. And we're always looking to become bigger and better and so forth. Uh, I kind of look at it this way and I don't know, maybe others will say wrong, wrong, but I kind of look at what makes me happiest, what makes my father happiness, like my dad. Mm -hmm. Well, it's to see me succeed. He wants to see me become bigger and better and more than I was yesterday and so forth. And sometimes he even sees possibilities about me that I've never seen. So when I'm satisfied, again, in high school, uh, I know we're going all the way back to high school every time. But it's a good analogy because in high school – Well, not everybody found their purpose so soon out of high school. So you have to go back to high school for your transformation. I really, I really resent that. I really resent that. But keep going. <laughs> and, and you know what? In all seriousness, I don't think everybody finds themselves in high school. But we find a level of satisfaction. We're okay with the way that the status quo is. We get out. We go to the school. We, you know, hang out with our friends. We hang out on a weekend. Blah, blah, blah. And that we're satisfied with that, right? And that's good enough for us. But all of a sudden, as we graduate to a new level, we become aware that there's more. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so now it becomes an opportunity for us to figure out what does that more really look like for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I think we are always in a a mode, if you will, of um, the temptation is there to be satisfied. Right. The temptation is always there. Things are going pretty good. I made some money today. I, you know, sold to a couple of clients. My family is doing OK. The kids aren't too upset. You know, everybody seems to be all right. So it's pretty easy to roll into satisfied. But, you know, if we can understand that, you know, day, our days are full of ups and downs. There's new and there's uh, things that we've never faced before. We're always having to kind of reinvent and rediscover. And we're, you know, always looking for new solutions to new challenges and there's never really an end if we can start seeing it like that and understand that as long as we're making good choices that we're happy with the consequences we're going to be happy and we'll have the ability to make even grander choices Mm. and that's really really what life is in fact um one of the things that i think is just really kind of cool when i went and i interviewed the um top achievers i decided i wanted to interview one group of people that could tell me about change transformation and i didn't want to interview thought leaders per se right because you know, they all got programs. They've kind of got motives maybe to sell this. So I wanted to find somebody that, you know, really would give me the truth, the real goods on transformation. Mm-hmm. How do you change something? And so I decided I would go out and interview some suicide hotline workers. Mm. I remember and, this and, movie. Yeah. And, and you remember I talked about how if there's one place where everybody's in despair and they've got to make a shift, I mean, you're on the clock. Sometimes these guys calling in the suicide hotline, they've got a gun in their hand or a rope on their neck or they've taken pills already or whatever, right? So I chatted with this lady who was in charge of training the suicide hotline workers, and she said something really profound. She said, out of all the things that we can say, there's one thing that we don't say. And I said, well, what's that? She says, we can't say, don't kill yourself. And I was like, what? I mean, I that's the first thing I would say. She mm-hmm. says, don't get me wrong. We don't want them to kill yourself. But what we say is we say, you could kill yourself, but this is what it looks like. So we help them see a consequence, mm-hmm. but we don't take choice. See, when we tell someone what to do, don't kill yourself. We're taking away their choice, right? And these people, when they're calling in, they already feel like they don't have a choice. They feel like they're, you know, at the worst circumstance of all time. So by telling them what to do, we haven't really helped them. So she says, what we do instead is we say, yes, you could do that, but that's what it looks like, et cetera, et cetera. And the more choices we help them see, the more power returns to them. And so again, this is the same with progress, kind of like what we're talking about. We don't ever be satisfied because that takes away our choices too. If we, if we hit a dead end, 
we, you know, we don't have anywhere to go. Mm -hmm. And so life really needs to be a mission of more choices, more creation, upwards and onwards. And we're always looking for how we can expand. It's kind of like the universe, right? Since the Big Bang, it's been an expansion mode, right? Right, right, right. Anytime we contract, constrict, or make excuses to hold ourselves back, we're actually fighting against the entire universe. So no wonder you're not making progress, right? Mm -hmm. I, I know this sounds kind of a cop out way to say it but you got to go with the flow but you got to go with the right flow and that's expansion right you've got to go with the flow that would enlarge you make you bigger that's what you got to do yeah i mean this sort of brings up something that's a little bit timely um and gets us to a place that's i, I know a little bit uncomfortable but but i would be remiss if we didn't talk about it so we are in the middle of a global pandemic and uh national race riots in the, in the united states right now um, and Canada, actually, they've started here too. Um, so yeah, so we have we have this uh, this flow, uh, this expansion is kind of in a difficult place right now, right? I mean, I I hear when you talk about lack of choice, and I see how people have bristled with some of the stay at home orders and some of the shelter in place stuff, and I can I can appreciate that that's that those probably go hand in hand, right? The bristling and the idea of feeling like you don't have a choice, and that's why people who are normally when they talk about the uh, the American spirit, like that's what they mean is that you can't expand while you are forced into this, into this choice. But then we talk about this, this idea of racial inequality. We talk about these, the, this un unbelievable civil unrest across the entire, uh, across most of the Western world at this point. Uh, how does that align with, with some of the ideas of, I mean, I know we're supposed to emphasize a lot, right? We're supposed to focus on what we, on the passion and purpose concept, but in, in terms of like real inequality and real violence, how do we, how do we reconcile those two things? Well, I, there, there's a lot of things that you've just talked about. I guess mm -hmm. I want to back up and, and hit one on the head that I kind of don't agree with, where you say where we're in lockdown, right? We're all stuck in our homes or whatever, that we don't have any choices. I, I'm going to right away refute that idea because we do have a lot of choices mm -hmm. and there's a lot of uh, people that I know that in fact have, uh, you know, obviously I've seen opposite ends. I've seen people who come from a place of fear. They've lost their jobs or they've been downsized or even their economy has just been shifted and changes. Mm -hmm. They're in despair. In fact, some <laughs> friends that I know are uh, even griping about the people that they're quarantined with, meaning their own family members, right? right? Like it's not, right. it's not smooth. Hey, now I get to know you. Now I don't want to know you kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is that negative part. But I've also seen on the other hand, people who've been able to build amazing family connections or rebuild family connections that they didn't have, people who've actually built businesses. In fact, it's funny, my specific business, for me personally, it's expanded well beyond what I have ever experienced because I'm normally out doing events. So I found a way to reinvent and make money, but also enjoy my family, which is, I think, kind of cool, mm -hmm. right? So there's a there's a, a whole spectrum. So I, I think we've just got to be careful that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's been good and bad. There's been a reconnect. In fact, I think also a lot of the friends that I've been chatting with, they've noticed that uh, in terms of eating out and shopping at the malls and all this stuff, they've never been able to save so much money, <laughs> right? Like this has been right. a blessing for them. They've had a complete restart and reset for themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing that's kind of interesting is just looking at you know, just what's going on now, everything with the race riots and everything else. And my heart really does go out to all the people, not just George Floyd's family, but everyone who has been the victim of discrimination and racism and hatred and these kinds of things. You know, I, I don't see the reason for it. I don't see what it serves. I don't see what it brings. I don't see what it gives. And it certainly isn't a positive thing. The other thing that just to kind of share with this while we're talking about the law of attraction 
is I, I had a, a conversation with Bob Proctor once. He and I were just kind of spending the day together chatting about these things before he had a big seminar. And we got to the topic of this idea that everything vibrates at a frequency. And we heard this in you know, The Secret. We've heard it in my movie. We've heard it all over. Everything it's vibrates. Th- it's also in theoretical physics, right? Like the idea of, yeah, exactly. of reconciling uh, Newtonian mechanics uh, yep. and Einstein's theory of relativity requires yep. us to, at the subatomic level, have these vibrating strings that literally, like, that is, that's where science has us as well. So, so to be honest, the, the science there sounds great, but let's dumb it right down for mm-hmm. everybody listening, okay? just in case that you're not grooving with that. So as, as we're talking together, uh, I said to him, uh, what is it that's really vibrating? Like, what is the universe made of, actually? This is kind of an interesting conversation. So we started talking back and forth, and at first, I don't know that he had a complete answer. I didn't have a complete answer, and it's definitely not a scientific answer that we came up with, but it's an interesting answer. And in the end, we felt that everything is a manifestation of gratitude or love. Every single thing that's Mm. vibrating is a manifestation of gratitude or love. And things are either vibrating at a low level of love and gratitude, which brings the hatred out, which brings the pain, which keeps you from receiving abundance, that creates scarcity, that creates all these negative things, or you're vibrating at a high degree uh, and frequency of love and gratitude at which now you're in harmony with, again, the way that the universe is moving. It's moving and expanding outward. It's inclusive. The universe never ever takes something and says, I don't want this and cast it to another galaxy. It embraces it in some form or another. And if we're going to do the same, we need to learn how to overcome our feelings of any kind of prejudice or scarcity. You cannot attract abundance, like I said, with any kind of jealousy or comparison or complaining. You just can't. And, and if you think that you're going to, you're fooling yourself. And um, here's the other thing that I also think is really kind of interesting. You remember I kind of talked about this briefly in the film, but unfortunately I didn't get the time that I really wanted to develop this idea. Um, when I went out and I interviewed the top 400 achievers, there was a lot of stuff that I discovered that many of the gurus are teaching nowadays that's actually incorrect. And one of the things that they're teaching um, that is totally incorrect is they say you need to eliminate toxic people from your life. And right now we see that there are people who have tried to eliminate, even from a race point of view, people from their life. And if you look at any of the top achievers, they don't run from problems. They don't eliminate people. They don't if, – if someone doesn't get along with them, they don't uh, boycott them and, and cast them out. Now, I understand with abusers, okay, that's important. We need to separate ourselves from abusers. But from people that simply don't agree with us or people that have contrarian ideas, casting them aside – it's a form of scarcity, and you will never attract abundance for yourself if you're casting aside. We are all together. We're all unified if you look at the, uni- the energy field that surrounds right. our, our planet and everything else. We're all unified. But, but here's the thing that's kind of interesting that, again, I wish I could have developed in the film. Like I said, abusers are one thing. They're people who are acting irresponsibly, and they have no regard for humans, and they're, you know, they, they're selfish and everything. So don't be yoked with an abuser. If you're tied to one right now, I admonish you, you need to get help as quickly as possible. Right. But there are other kinds of people that we label as toxic, and it's maybe not fair. So one of them that we label as toxic is a complainer, someone who just complains. Right. Well, right, the truth right. is they, they don't have a solution, and so you know they'll just whine and whimper and whine. Now, I'm not going to suggest you eliminate those people, but I am going to suggest you very carefully uh, monitor what you uh, receive as truth from them. Right. You don't have to endorse what they say, but by casting them aside and telling them to go away – that's not going to benefit every anyone at all. But the other kind of person that we often label as a toxic person is what we receive as a criticism or a critic. 
-hmm. Now, here's the thing about critics is if we listen carefully, oftentimes they do have a suggestion on how we can improve. Oftentimes they are pointing out something that actually is true. And if we go back to my high school years, yes, there were some people that said some stuff to me as a teenager, and in fact, even now still, that I don't necessarily like to hear, but it's true. And I need to hear it sometimes. And it protects me. And they have good intentions when they're telling me these things. The difference between someone who's helpful sometimes and a critic is just that one is a bad communicator. They both care for you. They both want you to succeed. And they are both speaking truth. Just one knows how to frame it a little Mm. bit better than the other. So sometimes a critic comes across as hurtful. But I'm going to suggest that if you want to be a top achiever, if you want to experience more success, you've got to have a little bit more caution in labeling people as toxic when quite truthfully they might be the most helpful thing you need to hear right Right. what is it we what is it in business that we say is that your customer service department is generally your strongest point of r&d or research and development right that's the best way to know how to succeed is to listen to what's not working right right so i guess you know you bring up a couple points there one is we need to we can only really control ourselves so we can we need to make sure that when we give criticism to people we're doing it in as healthy a way as possible, right? With an eye on improvement as much yeah. as possible. So that's that's our own stuff. But also, uh, part of that, what I'm hearing too, is that you have to start to eliminate your own ego, your own sense of of, of things that can get hurt when somebody gives you feedback, um, which is easier said than done. Definitely easier said than done. And uh, I think it's also something that, again, like I said earlier with this whole idea of our thoughts becoming things and programming, it really comes down to really also looking and being aware of our programming. And um, most of us are programmed to be defensive. Most of us are programmed to, you know, kind of already have an idea of what we believe is true about ourselves before we really examine it. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, what's what's the way to say this you know if if you were to build a um, a profile of yourself on a dating site right mm-hmm. <laughs> you you'd think that everything you say about yourself and all the pictures that you put up are really quite good i'm i'm good looking i have lots of good attributes i have mm-hmm. but all of a sudden as you bring yourself to the world the feedback that it gives us is maybe a little bit more accurate to what's true right right are we willing to receive that are we willing to make changes and sometimes for those that are willing to hear and make changes they can sometimes ultimately come up with a better version of themselves right um i've had so many of the mentors especially among the top uh you know 400 that i've interviewed here's actually something really kind of funny another thing the gurus get wrong is you've heard you got to fake it till you make it well can i tell you that that's the fastest way to get a top achiever to say i don't want to help that guy because they know you're a fraud. Real money, real wealth, real success knows what real success looks like. And so when right. you show up on the scene faking it, they get very offended and there's no way they're going to risk their reputation and the brand that they've built and who they are to help someone that they know is a pile of phony baloney, right? And so we've got to understand that the best position is not to show up as a fake it till you make it and full of ego and pride and trying to prove ourselves. And, you know, because we're coming from a position of insecurity that I'm just as good as everyone else, blah, blah, blah. No, the better position is to come humbly and be prepared to be taught, Mm -hmm. be prepared to actually be helped. Right. 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 And, uh, that's the shift, right? Yeah. I mean, but, but also like, so, so I guess the, the hard thing is, basically what I'm hearing from you is that there are no shortcuts, right? So if you, if you want to grow, 
it's going to be painful and you're going to have to deal with, well, with looking at yourself. Um, I don't know about painful. Well, you yeah. at least have to learn but, how but to absorb, here's the thing too, is when absorb I, when criticism when without, without taking it personally. Yeah, fair enough. That's that's a good point. But I think the other thing too is when we talk about there are no shortcuts, just also be careful you don't make it longer than it actually is either, right? Right, right, right. right. Because I think a lot of people, you know, they beat themselves down and they feel like, again, they've got to, you know, pay all these dues to be considered a worthy person. The truth is, is you are a worthy person, no matter what the state of your per your personality is at this point. You are worth it. You are worthy. The difference is, I think, is that we haven't really uh, attained the experiences that we feel like make us worthy, mm. right? We haven't added those external kind of validations, if you will, to tell us that we're worthy. In fact, I'll let out a secret right now just because you and I are having so much fun. I've already started work on my next movie. My next movie is going to be called The Lost Message. And if you want to know what The Lost Message is. I do. Obviously, us. I'm waiting. It's what? Yeah, it's us. We are the lost message. So in other words, right now, our senses of validation comes from how many likes we get on Facebook, right. how many subscribers we have, how many people tell us we're really good looking or we're perfect or how many, you know, uh, whatever. You fill in the blank. The media tells us what we need to wear, how we need to think, blah, blah, blah. So the lost message is really that most of us have lost the fact that in, internally we are actually much more brilliant and powerful than we ever thought. And this idea also – I know I'm really beating up on a lot of the popular things that gurus talk about. They always say that to become successful, you need to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Well, it's a ton of stuff I'm not comfortable with. And uh, as I interviewed the top achievers, they definitely don't try to do all the stuff they're not comfortable with. Right. What they do instead is they try to get into something called their brilliance zone, the area where they are best, the things that they're really good at, where they shine. Just think about this like an athlete playing sports, right? You know, how awkward would it be if we've got a professional football player who is in charge of taking his own uniform to the dry cleaners to book the hotel? to book the tour bus and get his all travel arranged, to book like all the details, and then sure. show up on game day and still play, right? Sure. That's why most people suck at, at what they want to do is because they're trying to do all the things that they really need to be giving to someone else. Right. And they need to focus on their brilliance and the things that they're extremely good at. Okay. But if they do to, that, they're going to find them in progress, right? Yeah, but just to exhaust your metaphor for a second here, right? Like, yeah, yeah. If you want to go to the athlete that has like, – like when the athlete is, uh, is in the minor leagues – He's doing all of that stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And he's and he's having to. He's paid his dues. He's paying his dues at that time, so he is doing the things that he's uncomfortable with. He is, and then and then having to find a way. And it trains it trains the athlete to show up on game day and focus and put all that other stuff behind them. Maybe the uniform doesn't fit right. It's like my mom always used to say when there were things getting in the way between me and an audition. She said, "Nobody cares. Use it. Find a way to <laughs> use the pain or to use the discomfort." to inform whatever it is that you are working on. And in the same way, that athlete, as that athlete is performing, and like if an athlete has a hard, if a baseball player has a hard time hitting a curveball, the trick is not to only hit fastballs, it's to be as, a, is, is to sit there and get as many curveballs thrown at them as possible so they learn to recognize it and learn how to sit on it and wait for it and wait for it to drop in the zone and then swing or, or to know that it's going to drop out of the zone. That, that, that only comes with repetition of discomfort. Same with, well, yeah. with weightlifting. It, it, yeah, you're 100% you're, you're right. And I love the book uh, by Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, where he talks about we need to invest 10,000 hours to become an expert at any right. given thing. Well, let me share an interesting insight that I learned from the world's top achievers as I interviewed them. The 10,000 hours doesn't always have to come from you. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> you see, yeah, most, no, most of great. us feel like it's a personal thing that we have to be the guy always doing it. And, you know, uh, that's why, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't do any coaching very much anymore. I, I mean, I do some coaching. I've got about a three-year waiting list, so I just – I'm not taking anybody new. But for those of you that are coaches or that you're looking for coaches out there, this is something you need to think about is – your role becomes absolutely essential and important because there are people who, quite frankly, they want to learn this and you've got their 10,000 hours. You've put in the time, you've built the reps, if you will. And, you know, you can help somebody see very quickly if they're starting incorrectly or if they're not like, I mean, you've got such experience. Uh, I love this because I do mixed martial arts, right? Like that's mm. one of my hobbies. I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And um, when I'm watching UFC, it's awesome because I can see where things are going. Right often before my friends can because of the training and experience that I have. And that's the same thing with, with any of this. When you get a coach or a mentor who can kind of see where you're going mm -hmm. and he, they know through experience, I mean, it can shave years off mm -hmm. of your pain and sorrows, right? Like it put you to the front of the line quicker than almost anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's, uh, but the trick I guess is then figuring out like knowing enough to know when you found that right You've been using the term guru, but like that, that right yeah. coach, that right person who can inform, help you inform your life. And also, it takes a certain amount of maturity, right? You talked about being in high school and not wanting people to talk into your life and bristling yeah. at anybody that wanted you to be anything other than a high school kid. Yeah, that's and right. Well, we by the to, way, we all have to get to that place where we're like, hey, I want the growth. And that's what I mean when I say painful, right? Like, yeah. that's the part that's painful is you have, to, you have to decide that you want the growth, that you're not comfortable where you currently are. And I guess yeah. maybe that's the myth of discomfort, right? That you have to go through discomfort. It's just, you have to, uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit like when you sit for too long and your leg falls asleep. Uh, you got to let your leg wake up and there's a, there's a period of discomfort there just so you can get yeah. up and go get yourself another sandwich. Well, here, here's a shameless plug that I want to put in too. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but obviously there's, there's so many people entering the coaching field right now for yeah. coaches and speakers and all this kind of thing. I'm really happy to report that there's now an organization where people can go and kind of check their coach, like uh, the Better Business Bureau. It's called coachverification.com. Oh, nice. And it, and it doesn't verify their certification. So in other words, it doesn't really look at, you know, say, for example, um, you know, they're into something very new agey or their business coach. Whatever. It doesn't really validate the discipline, but it validates to see, again, that they've gotten a positive rapport in the neighborhood, that people are getting results from them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that you, they're an authority that's trusted and they, they also agree to the code of ethics and standards of coach verification. So I, I think that's a good place to start if somebody is looking for sure, a coach. Sure. Don't just take somebody's word for it. In fact, heaven forbid, I think you and I have both seen guys, they, they go see the secret tomorrow, they're a law of attraction coach, or they go see Tony and next thing you know, they're a life coach the, the very same day or right, whatever. Right, right, so, right, right, right. You got to be careful because the barrier to be a coach or even involved in personal development is the barrier to entry is very low. And so we just want to make sure people are safe. I, and I think that that's the responsible way to do it. Uh, what is the name of that organization? So I can put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Coachverification.com. Okay. Well, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of, as you'll see, big players that endorse it as well. So, you know, you're in good hands. We've been talking for a long time, and I know that your time is We've been having fun. <laughs> I've, been having a, I've been having a great time. I, I want to I circle back on a couple of things because I think that they're yeah, important. You it. talked about some of these. And uh, by the way, for the whole shebang of what we're talking about for a little bit more in-depth, honestly, the movie is about as long as we've been talking today. Um, but it, it, it's uh, how thoughts become things, and it is all about the connection between our thoughts, our emotions, our action, and our outcomes. And uh, it is absolutely absolutely worth your time to see it um uh, where can people see it just so that they know before we start yeah sure 
the easiest way is just head over to www.howthoughtsbecomethings.com. That's How Thoughts Become Things, just the name of the movie.com, and you can access it right there. It's awesome. And by the way, right now we've got kind of a cool thing where if you get the movie, we've got a workbook that you can use to oh, watch the movie with, and there's a bunch of other fun little goodies that we've given, some interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff as well. Fantastic. Uh, link to that website is in the show notes as we speak. Um, uh, and um, we're, we're going to wrap up in a minute here, but, but we talked. you talked a little bit about some of the negative elements that we allow to sort of cloud – uh, that, that will come up, the, these, these elements of stagnation that will come up to block us. And we, we've had Ryan Holiday on the show, and he's a big stoic, cool. and the idea of the obstacle is the way, right? When you yeah, start yeah. to feel this resistance at times, and we joked about it at the beginning as we had some technical issues, uh, that like the fact that we're having technical issues is a sign that we need to persevere and get this, and get this interview done. But it's Absolutely. The, when you start to feel the resistance, you start to feel the fear. And then you brought up some other ones that I think are, are really apt. So some, some comparison, some uh, – you want to go through those again real fast? Yeah. Well, there's comparison. There's fear. There's jealousy. There's uh, you know self-doubt. There's so many – actually, you know what's really kind of funny? I should get this to you. I actually – when I first started in personal development just for fun, I started making a list of all the excuses that people gave me for different things. And, and not just for – you know. Just everyday things, anything. And, and I came up with literally about three or 400 different excuses that people can make. And, I, and every time I hear a new one, I add it to the list. But they're always attached to generally comparison is the one. Now, what do yeah. I mean by Okay. Well, we're either comparing, comparing ourselves to others or we're comparing ourselves to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we're saying, listen, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy to the right. task. And, right. and, 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 you know, here's just an interesting thought about this idea of excuses for a second here. Do you know that we will generally never make an excuse over something we can actually do something about? You know, so, for example, if, if you don't have a desire to do something, if something doesn't appeal to you or doesn't interest you, you won't make an excuse. You'll just say no. Right? No thanks. But if it's something that you could do or that you would do and it's just going to make you stretch a little bit or you've got to face something inside you or maybe it's – possibly even laziness or whatever it is, we will make an excuse for that. Right. We generally don't make excuses for things that we have no power over. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, right? And it's interesting, and, and I, I, I hate it. At this <laughs> I love chatting with you. You're really, really fun. This is good. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. I mean, like, look, I, I, uh, I feel like we could talk uh, for hours and hours. I feel like comparison, though, which I think, which is where I actually wanted you to land. We didn't talk about this, but I wanted you to land on the comparison because I think – to your point, that is a really – that is something that is on steroids right now with social yeah. media, with constant streaming of images. I mean you, in the movie you talk about the idea of television as being the greatest hypnotist. I happen to, I happen to love storytelling, but, but, I, but I do think especially when it comes to some of the junkier stuff that's out there, and I think storytelling is important. I think it's, it's parabolic. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's, it's parables that we use uh, to inform our own morality and our own life, and I think that's great. But I think we have used it as a drug, and we have used it for comparison. When you look at some of the trashier shows out there, we use it to compare Fair our enough. lives to other people in a way that is not favorable and does not benefit us in the long run. Um, so I'm not poo-pooing the whole concept of television, but I'm just talking about the, the hypnotism that we get. And I think well, you, you, you know, I, I'm kind of like you, where I, I love stories. In fact, why did I get involved in movies? Let's be honest. I think you know we can look at all the big blockbusters like Star Wars and Raiders and Superman mm -hmm. and all these big films. And I also think that in addition to you – know, like we can't throw up the baby with the bathwater. Sure, we see shows. They shape who we believe we are, but also in a positive way too. 
-hmm. And I know that there's lots of courage in my life that I've developed because of what I've seen with, you know, different uh, elements out there and and different things going on. And so, you know, I I think we've got to recognize that all the things that influence us have the power for either good or evil, Mm -hmm. depending on how we interpret them and how we allow them to expand. Just think about it this way. Everything you come in contact with is almost like dropping a pebble in a pond. There's going to be ripples. What will they be? Right. Mm -hmm. And part of that is going to have a lot to do with our interpretation. Right. Mm. The -hmm. stories that we create alongside that. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's this is as good a place as any to start to wrap this up. Uh, Douglas Vermeeren, thank you so much for your time. The movie, How Thoughts Become Things, linked to where you can um, where you can see it is in the show notes. You guys make sure you check that out is powerful. It is, again, once again, all about how our how our thoughts and emotions connect to our actions and outcomes. And it is. It's worth it. If you, if you are struggling with anything in your life right now, uh, this film could really be the key to help you begin to unlock some of the stuff that you're internalizing that is keeping you from, from moving forward with your life. This is as, uh, as essential, as fundamental uh, as anything we talk about in terms of, of controlling your thought life. And not controlling your thought life, that's actually a bad way to put it, but of emphasizing the thoughts in your thought life that really need to be emphasized because they, they do make that point that it's not about... Um, controlling your, your thought life. Okay, aside from where to find the movie, <laughs> uh, where else can people can people uh, uh, contact you, Douglas? Okay, well, I guess uh, to get stuff from me, like connect from me, we got a ton of free content online, just different things that I learned in interviewing the world's top achievers. I've got so much stuff on wealth, specifically building your networks at a high level, which is awesome, especially for people who are in the entertainment business. How, like, how do you get connected to people who are at a high level? It's not again, uh, you know, what you know, it's who you know, and even more importantly, who knows you. So I've got a lot of programs and, and tools around that. How did I connect with the top achievers and Academy Award winners and top actors and everything else? And so, um, yeah, just the, probably the easiest, head over to YouTube, just type in my name, Douglas Vermeeren, and I've got a channel there. It's all free stuff. I'm also on Insta, of course, so join me there. And uh, hey, if you get my vibe, become my tribe, and there's lots of fun stuff that we've got uh, you know, in fact, uh, we, one thing that's really kind of neat, you know, uh, you're talking about auditioning and all this stuff. I actually host events regularly where I bring in some of the top achievers that I've interviewed. Mm-hmm. And we do a big kind of networking event afterwards as well. So you get a chance to meet them. And I just actually had uh, one of my best buddies is Barnett Bain, who is uh, an Academy Award winner, did What Dreams May Come with Cuba Gooding, Robin Williams, and, yeah, and that kind of thing. Yep. And then uh, Michael Binko is a buddy of mine who uh, came up with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, uh, A Minute to Win It, and Hollywood Game Night. And so, like, we got some big players that come to our events. Mm. So if you want to get involved in our group, I think it's a, it's a great group to really just connect and, you know, I mean, expand what you want to do, right? Like, yeah. dial into some great thinkers and great people. I mean, I'm going to have to start coming to that group. Absolutely. Oh, we'd love to have you come out. That'd be cool. All right. Yeah, Link- just- Link to Douglas's Instagram as well as to his YouTube channel will be in the show notes. Uh, one last thing, and I ask it to everybody. What is something we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? Well, I think the, the biggest thing, quite frankly, is get some clarity around what you want to do. A goal that is specific and clear becomes attainable and near. So get some clarity around what you want and not just the actual thing of it, but why you want it. Your why power will determine your willpower, and when you start seeing why you want it, you'll also be able to understand the emotions that you'll feel at the end of it, right? Don't just be climbing the ladder of success. Stephen Covey once said, uh, many people climb the ladder of success only to find it's leaning against the wrong wall. Don't make that mistake. Mm -hmm. Know what you want specifically and through feelings before you get started. 
There you have it. Uh, Doug, thank you so much for your time today. I have, I have, I've loved this. I'm, I'm going to have to have you back on even when you don't have some oh, questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'd love to do it. All right. and, and, and like I said, you're going to come to some of our events. So we'll I, am. Chance to I am. I am. This is awesome. Awesome. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Check out all of the links that I talked about in the show notes. Uh, get yourself, watch that movie. Uh, also, if you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening right now. It helps us out a lot so that people can actually hear the show again. Uh, and also, if there's a friend that you think needs to hear this, please share it with them. That It, it makes a big difference for us. Uh, if you want to follow up with us, facebook.com slash John Tesh is where we spend most of our time. We go live there all the time. We do workouts. We have conversations with our audience. John is also on Twitter at John Tesh, on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me and talk to me directly at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every DM and message about the show in particular because, uh, because I do the show for you guys. Uh, and I want to make the show what you guys want to hear. So if you have suggestions of guests or if you want us to take it in a different direction, let me know. I would love to hear about it because most, most importantly, uh, I do the show for you. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs>